If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We are deep into a series on the Holy Spirit. And, um, and today we begin a kind of like the, the series tra- like moves on to like the concrete activity of the Spirit in the church today. Things like prophecy and words of knowledge and tongues and healings and deliverance. So this is like the felt experience kingdom stuff. That's what we're into today. And so I'll read 1 Corinthians 14. I'll read uh, verses 1 through 5. And then I will pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. That's God's word. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, approach the scriptures, we, th- those things outlined there uh, through prophecy that the, ch- that the church would be strengthened and encouraged and comforted, I pray that that would happen today. Uh, it might happen partly through the sermon, but I think more so it's going to happen by your spirit through waiting upon you and, and um, asking your spirit to come and fill us and speak to us. It might be one person here having a word for another person or a word of encouragement or something like that. I pray that would happen. A lot of us just come into church every week so heavy because of things going on in our world. We think of the shootings in Pittsburgh this last week at Triolai Synagogue and, and our hearts are just so heavy, God. We pray for peace, the shalom of God to rest upon that, that congregation. May you bring your peace there, God. And for all of us who carry around in our, in our spirits all these different ways, these different heavy things, not just national heavy news, but just very local, like local to our own families, local to, local to our own bodies even, things that we carry into this church, and we just need to be strengthened. We need to be encouraged, Lord, and we need comfort. So bring that today by the power of your spirit. I submit all of my capacity to you. I ask God that you would speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what we've been trying to do over the last several weeks is to build a case from Scripture that the Holy Spirit is God's personal empowering presence. That's why we're calling the series The Empowering Presence. That the Holy Spirit is God. It's God's personal empowering presence. And what the Spirit seeks to do in the life of a church is to encourage us, to empower the church, and to move us toward the mission of Christ together. Now, how does the Spirit do this? How does the Spirit of God move us towards the mission of Christ together through empowering us and through encouraging us? Well, the Spirit fills us. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He seals us, commissions us, sends us, speaks to us, uses us, empowers us, and probably... As, as important as anything, he gifts us. What we'll be talking about the next several weeks is traditionally known as spiritual gifts. And I won't spend that much time building a case for the spiritual gifts. I taught an in-depth study on that a few years back when we were going through 1 Corinthians. You can look that up online or on our podcast. But if you're new to this whole thing, let me just say this. Spiritual gifts are expressions and manifestations of Jesus' character entrusted to his followers so that as a community we can be his body for the sake of the world. So basically his spiritual gifts are that you and I would be empowered to manifest the kingdom of God in this world, to become like Jesus as a body of Christ. The church is called the body of Christ, like literally his body, that we show up in San Francisco as his body. Now if you are a follower of Jesus, you have at least one gift 
One spiritual gift. Either it's been given to you at birth and the Spirit of God repurposes it for his kingdom. Or it could be a brand new thing that you'd never had before. But once you're a Christian, you get this, receive this gift for the, towards the mission of Christ. Or it can be something that is manifested in your life over and over and over again. Like the gift of healing. And you have the gift of healing, but it manifests itself not always, but often through your life. Spiritual gifts are given by grace, not by works. Not even by maturity, which is strange. The spiritual gifts are an act of grace. They're, act, they're literally called uh, a charismata, like grace gifts. Now, I, we pray that you would grow in the maturity of your gift, but they're not given because of maturity. It's not like you hit level 10 and all of a sudden you get a gift. Like you're given them at conversion. Every gift is of equal value. There is no one greater, no one lesser. When Paul says that, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. He's speaking as it edifies the church. That's why he says, unless someone interprets the tongue. Because if a tongue, well, we'll get into that next week. I won't have time. I won't get into that now. And then uh, all gifts are for others, except for tongues. Again, that's next week. All gifts are for others. Now, you can read about some of these gifts of the Spirit or the stuff the Spirit does, which is my best translation of gifts of the Spirit. The stuff the Spirit does in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. You might want to write that down. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Today I want to talk about prophecy. I want to talk about prophecy. Now for those of you who are new to this, let me give you a simple definition of biblical prophecy. This is like a gateway definition into where we're going today. So just so you know where we're going, here's a gateway simple definition of biblical prophecy from Wayne Grudem in his book, The Gift of Prophecy. He says, speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. Speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. There is a lot there to unpack, but notice what's involved here. One is hearing God speak, and the second thing is speaking what you hear. So prophecy is hearing God speak and speaking what you hear. Now, some of you have heard about the gift of prophecy and have longed for it in your life. You want this to be, you, you've even tried it out on certain occasions. And maybe it's, got, it's led to some great success for you or maybe some great failures for you. But you hear prophecy and you long for it. You're like mouth almost salivates for it. You're like, yes, I cannot wait. This is what I want. Now, I, I will say I've seen many people with a right and good desire for the gift of prophecy, but without any theological grounding for this desire. And it ends up leading into a lot of immaturity, maybe even a lot of hurt. So it's really important that you get biblical grounding on this gift. I've also seen people go after this gift with biblical maturity. And prophecy, I will say, is the most powerful and beautiful thing I've witnessed in Jesus' community. It is absolutely essential to a church. And it's absolutely, I think it's a thing that every single one of us can do. And it's every, every single one of us should eagerly want to do. There's other people in the room, when I say prophecy, you get really defensive around the word prophecy. It makes you think of about a, maybe a hyper-Pentecostal church you grew up in or maybe some weird prophecy update about the end times and how we need to support Israel as a nation to prepare for the rapture or something like that. And you hear prophecy, you're like, oh my gosh, is he going to do a prophecy update? Like what's going on in the news? Is Trump in, in the book of Revelation? All this stuff. Like probably, but no, I'm not talking about that. Some of you guys get really weirded out by prophecy. You're like, oh my gosh, this, we're going to become the prophecy church that like does, does prophecy updates. No, we are not. And maybe you've been really hurt and manipulated spiritually in an environment that went after prophecy. If this is you, I hope the Spirit brings some healing today to you and some grounding in the Scriptures. And I hope you would be open again to God speaking prophetically to you and through you. There's probably a third camp in here that you have no idea what I'm talking about right now at all. Because you're new to this whole thing. And what you want to do right now is turn to the person who brought you and say, what did the heck, what the heck did you get me into? What did you bring me to? Now, what's really cool about that, if that's you, if you're completely new, you're like, what is, what is he talking about? Are you guys going to do fortune telling stuff in here? What's happening? What's really cool about this is the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, actually talks about how prophecy is for those who are not a part of the church. And it's given so that God could be made real to you. So that you can go like, oh my gosh, God is real. That's why prophecy is given. And I really hope, and hope that happens today. Now, I'll let you know where I'm at. To be honest, I'm still really new in all of this stuff myself. Though I've been talking about prophecy for years, I have taught on it. 
I've even moved in some prophetic stuff from time to time. I am actually just starting to right now in my journey with Christ and as a leader, I'm barely starting to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. And I'm barely starting to eagerly desire it for our church. So some of the stories that I'll be sharing today come from a place where I'm still learning, still growing, and still taking baby steps in obedience and even courage towards eagerly desiring the gift of prophecy for our church. So let's get into this today by asking this question. Do you believe that God speaks today? Do you believe that God speaks today? Yes? Yes. Okay. Most of us would say yes. I would imagine most would also say that God speaks through the Bible. True? True. Yes. And have you ever sensed that God gives you an impression of or for someone and has led you to pray for someone? And maybe he's given you an impression of like, this person really needs prayer right now. And you just just text them randomly. Hey, I don't know why, but God just told me to pray for you right now. And that person texts back like, oh my gosh, you had no idea. At this very moment, I needed that. If you believe in that, if you believe that God could put on your mind someone's name, if God can put on, on your heart some burden that you have for someone, then this is what the Bible calls prophecy. It doesn't have to be super, super scary. That simply is what the Bible calls prophecy. Let me show you how this works. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Of course I'm going to Genesis 1. You know this, guys. You should have it opened all the time there. Genesis 1. 1-1. One, one. It all starts here. Page 1. Genesis 1-1. One, one. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God, the word there is ruach, it's um, breath or wind. The spirit of God was hovering or fluttering over the waters, over the chaos. The very next verse, verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And if you keep reading through Genesis 1, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. However long ago you think this happened, this creation of our world, what the scriptures testify to is that the world itself is born by the mouth of God. God speaks and it is. He breathes. And when you speak, breath comes out of your mouth or wind comes out of your mouth. That's all the same word in Hebrew. God speaks, wind, breath, ruach, life, and it is. That's how God creates and what happens when God speaks is that he breathes his very life into something. Now God is a speaking God who speaks the world into creation, the cosmos into creation. He animates and he energizes by speaking. And there are many ways God speaks in the scriptures. There's all kinds of ways and different ways that God speaks in the Bible. One of them is that God actually also speaks through people. And this shouldn't surprise us at all. When God created Adam and Eve, he breathed into them the breath of life. He breathed and he animated them. And then God speaks through them. Now, when God speaks through a man or a woman, that is called prophecy. When God speaks directly through someone, that is called prophecy. The first prophet formally, or essentially the first prophet in the Bible was a man named Moses. We just went through the Exodus series. Moses heard God speak and spoke exactly what God told him to speak. He actually wrote the stuff down. The first five books of the Torah, are, or the first five books of the what we call Old Testament, are literally called the books of Moses. Jesus calls them the books of Moses. Moses takes God's word, what God says, and writes it down. When God speaks through him, he, he's he prophesies. Now, check out the story. Turn to Numbers 11. Numbers 11, uh, this is after, obviously, um, Exodus happens. This is a little bit later in the story of Exodus and Numbers. Um, verse, chapter 11, verse 24. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. It'll be on the screen as well. So we, we know that God speaks through Moses as Moses is a prophet. So Moses hears from God. Whenever Moses hears from God, usually there's a cloud that covers him or something that shields him. And then God directly speaks his word to him. And then God delivers that word to, to the children of Israel. Okay, so there's this account we have in Numbers 11. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent of meeting where God met with Moses. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him 
and he put it on the 70 elders. I don't know how that works. That was awesome, though. Mo- God comes down. Moses takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It says the power of the Spirit, and he gives the power of the Spirit to the 70 elders. And when the Spirit had rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. Happened one time. Moses is a prophet. When he speaks, when God speaks to him, he speaks to people. And then he has these elders that he brings. And then the spirit, he gets to, gives the spirit to them. Then they prophesied as well, but only once. Next verse. However, two men whose names were Ildad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they did not go out to the tent. They were late. They missed, I don't know, they didn't get the, the, they, they didn't get the text or something happened, right? Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. Wherever they were, they were prophesying as well. A young man ran and told Moses, Ildad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, and we all know who Joshua is, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop these guys from prophesying in the camp. You can't be, they can't be prophesying this. Only you can. They can't. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I'm not insecure about this. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses' heart, because Moses walked with God and walked with God in such a way that he knew what it felt like. He knew the experience of hearing God and speaking the words of God to people. He knew what the spirit of God resting on him was. He knew what it was like to speak for God. And so what his heart was, almost like a prayer, a longing for his heart was, Joshua, I'm not insecure about this. I want, I wish everyone prophesied. I wish the spirit of God was on everyone. That's what he prayed. Now, notice a few things. When the presence of God falls like a cloud on Moses, what always follows is God speaks to him. And then Moses speaks the word of God to, the, to people. That means he prophesies. Moses then imparted some of the same spirit to these 70 others, and they all began to prophesy as well. But this was temporary. This was a temporary divine moment when the Spirit of God came upon them and then they spoke what God was saying. Now turn over to Joel chapter 2. This is way, way right in your Bible in the Minor Prophets. It'll also be on the screen. But if you like to turn your Bible or scroll your phone, whatever you do, go there. Uh, Joel chapter 2 verse 28. You might recognize this verse as well. We've been reading this during our Holy Spirit series. This is later on in Israel's history. Moses was the prophet. Now there are many prophets in Joel chapter 2. And this prophet Joel says this, And afterward, in the new age, there's a day coming when the Spirit will pour, well, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit. Everyone gets the spirit and then then people will start to prophesy. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Joel, as a prophet, sees a day when all God's people will prophesy. It's like what Moses wanted is really what God wanted all along as well. That we would all hear God speak and the spirit would come upon all of us and we would speak the very words of God. Now, Turn to the left in Jeremiah. This comes later in the story, but the Old Testament isn't really chronological. So it's to the left, Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, another prophet as well, um, says this in Jeremiah 31. The days are coming. Okay, when the prophets talk like this in the Old Testament, talking about a new age is going to dawn. When everything will be made right and the Spirit of God will be poured on, on, on everyone. Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, that word is literally Torah, I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say, say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. So what Jeremiah prophesies is that there's a new age of God coming, a new age of the Spirit coming. When God will put his very words, his Torah, into our minds and into our hearts. Now with all the prophets of the Old Testament, as far as we know, God spoke to them with an audible voice. God spoke to them and they heard them audibly. As best as we can tell, that's how God spoke to them. Therefore, they would say, God has said, or thus saith the Lord. And they would quote God verbatim in the Old Testament. And if they were wrong, they were put to death. You could not be a false prophet in Israel. If you were a false prophet, you'd be put to death because you were telling people exactly what God said verbatim, word for word. But what Jeremiah is saying here is that in the future, there's going to be an age of the Spirit and everything will be different. God's word will be a direct like a direct download, a direct deposit into the mind and into the heart of the people of God. God will have direct access to your thinking and to your feelings. He can give you thoughts and he can move your feelings. He will put his word into your thinking and into your feeling. Are you guys, you guys there? You guys with me? See what, okay, so it moves on. Okay, so Jesus obviously promises the Spirit, New Testament. Turn to Acts chapter 2. You guys are all familiar with Acts chapter 2. We've also read this. Now, some of this is review for you. I don't care. This is what's so great about the Bible. The more you get into it, the deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper it goes, like levels deep. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, starts off like, this is not on the screen, but it'll eventually get on the screen when I, when I tell you to pay attention. But look, look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all, the disciples were all together in one place, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so the Holy Spirit comes and it fills everyone. There's like tongues of fire and they start speaking in tongues. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And then when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment and everyone heard what was being spoken in their native tongues because there's people from all over, all over uh, that, that world at that time. Jump down to verse 11. Everyone heard them, uh, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them, they said, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They're speaking our language. Amazed and perplexed, they, uh, they asked one another, what does this mean? Okay, verse 13, this is on the screen. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and said and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's nine in the morning, y'all. <laughs> no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, this is what he says. What, what, ha what is happening? What is happening that everyone's speaking the, the, the word of God, but they're using other languages to do so, so that everyone there could hear. Not only is this a reversal of the Tower of Babel, which I don't have time to get into, but this is, what, this is what's happening here, uh, Peter says, is what's happening is, is the, the, the prophecy of Joel is coming to pass. In the last days, God says, or in, the, in like the, the age of the spirit, these days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Peter stands up and he says, guys, this is what's happening. On the morning of Pentecost, it's not like bottomless mimosas here. This is not what's going on. What's happening is Joel's prophecy is actually being fulfilled now. There's a few things to note. What Peter is saying is that the new age of the spirit is breaking in. We now live in a new world because Jesus has died and rose from the grave and him and the father have sent the spirit. A new world is breaking in. A new world filled with prophecy and a new world filled with vision and a new world filled with dreams. And all of these are from God by his spirit. And notice that this is permanent. This does not go away. It didn't say that this is once and that's it. 
Actually, if you read the book of Acts, every single chapter except for one, I think chapter 17, every single chapter has God speaking revelatory things to the early church. Every single chapter. This is normal Christian life now. Moses said in Numbers eleven twenty nine, 29, I wish all God's people were prophets at Pentecost. His desire came a reality. Everyone's a pro- everyone becomes a prophet now. So we now live in a time of history where God has given us his spirit. And because of that, we can hear him. We live in an age in which God deposits his word into our minds and into our hearts, and we can actually speak what we hear God saying. Are you guys with me? Okay. The, the thing that is available to, to every, everyone has now come. This is available to all of us. Now, every single one of you, this is available to you. You can hear God specifically. You can hear God for someone. You can hear God for some group of people. You can hear God. You, the, um, some writers call this the prophethood of all believers. You know how there's a priesthood of all believers? This is the prophethood of all believers. Every believer can now be a prophet. We can all hear from God. We can all get something from the Spirit of God. We can get a revelation a vision, a dream, a word, an impression, an image. We can have all of this now. Now, here's a question that remains, though. Is this the same as the Old Testament prophets? If the Spirit of God is now on everyone, and we we can all now have access to the Spirit of God and speak the very words of God, like we can speak what God is saying, can we say, thus saith the Lord now? Can our words have the same weight as the Old Testament prophets or the same weight as Scripture itself? And the answer is simply no. That is not a thing. Michael Green says this. Prophecy is not the equivalent of Scripture. Prophecy is a particular word for a particular people at a particular time through a particular person. Scripture is for all Christians in all places at all times. So prophecy is a very particular word. Let me give you an example of this in Acts chapter 21. If you have a Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, um, this is a super fun story. Acts chapter 21, Paul at this point um, in the story of Acts is is being called uh, more and more and more so to... to, um, uh, being called more and more and more so to preach the gospel in places that are very difficult for the gospel to enter. And it says in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Really cool story there. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. Now, this is a prophet. Now, sometimes prophets get a little strange. This was one of them, okay? He, he went over to Paul as they were in Stephen's house. Went over to Paul. He took Paul's belt off of his waist. He tied it around his hands and his feet, and he said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So prophecy, the Holy Spirit just told me, Paul, you want to go to Jerusalem. I'm saying to you, this is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. You're going to be bound. You're going to be beaten. Don't go. When we all heard this and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They're like, okay, Paul, we heard the prophet. You hear what he's saying? You're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to get bound. You're going to get beaten. Don't go. That's, that's what we, we think the prophecy says. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Okay, something really interesting is going on here. And this, is, this teaches us a lot about prophecy. As Prophecy as we know of it today is similar but different than the prophets of the Old Testament. There are three parts to a prophecy when you hear God speak something to you. It might be something pretty big like, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. It could be something very, very simple like the Father wants to show you how much he loves you through X, Y, and Z or whatever. 
But this is what, this is, here are three parts to a prophecy. It's revelation, interpretation, and application. This is a three part of, of like how you and I operate in the gift of prophecy. First revelation, we get a word. We get an impression. We get an image. We get uh, maybe some, sometimes a literal like phrase or something. That's the revelation. That's like God speaking to you. Okay. And then there's this part, point where you ask, what's the interpretation? What does this mean? Who's this for? So Agabus got this image of someone being bound with a belt. And so he said, what's the interpretation of this? So he's like, oh, Paul going to Jerusalem is going to be bound. Okay, then there's an application. What am I supposed to do with this? Or what am I supposed to do about this? And so Agabus thought, I'm going to go tell Paul that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. And all the people that were there were like, the application, Paul, is don't go to Jerusalem. The thing is, Paul says, that's wrong application. Revelation, yes, God already told me that I'm going to be bound in Jerusalem. Interpretation, that means exactly what you think it means. But the application is wrong. I'm actually supposed to go to Jerusalem. I'm supposed to go there because God already told me that I'd be bound. He told me the same thing. So stop crying for me. You're breaking my heart. Send me there. I will be bound. I'm willing to be bound. I probably will die there and I'm okay to die there. So there's three parts. There's revelation. God, what are you speaking? Interpretation. Okay, what does this mean? Who's this for? And then application. What am I supposed to do with this? All of this is subject to your, your own fallenness as a human. Meaning you can get this wrong at any point. You can hear a revelation, a word, and get the interpretation wrong. You can, get the, you can get a word, but then completely get the word wrong. You can get mixed up in your mind. You could think you're getting a word for someone, but what you're really getting is what they told you at community group that you want to tell to everyone else. <laughs> and that would be wrong. Very, very wrong. A couple of, uh, a couple of months ago, um, I was, uh, I was at, uh, at, in Long Beach for um, teaching at uh, Darren Roundson's church. He'll be here in a couple of weeks teaching on uh, healing. Um, it's, it's, I don't have time to talk about it right now, but it's going to be a, an, an amazing week. So I was there teaching at his church. And there's a guy that he knows um, uh, named Casey who was about to move to, to San Francisco um, or to the Bay Area to go to Stanford. And they had done ministry together for a while. And Casey calls Darren and says, hey, I'm moving to the Bay Area. Do you know of a church? And they've done ministry in the, in the Holy Spirit for a, a while together. And Darren says, yes, there is a, there is a guy I want to introduce you to. He's actually teaching at church this Sunday. Come and meet him. So Casey comes to the, the church. I meet him in Long Beach afterwards really quick outside on a, um, on a street corner. And I say, hey, I heard you moved to San Francisco. Yeah, he, he doesn't know anything about me. He just knows that I'm moving and Darren wants us to meet. And... Um, and we're on the, on the corner, and I just meet him really quick. I have to catch a plane to leave. And so I go, okay, I got to go. Really nice meeting you. When you get in San Francisco, look me up. Here's my number, all this other stuff. Let's, let's connect. And he's like, hey, could I um, pray for you real quick? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I think I, I might have a, a word for you. I'm like, all right. So he just lays his hands on me. We're on this, this random street corner in Long Beach right by a really good restaurant. I forget the name of it. Anyway, um, <laughs> what was it called? Free Bird? Free? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, and so he prays for me, and he's like, hey, I got this image of a skateboarder bombing a huge hill. And you, it's like it's you on a skateboard, and you're going down this hill, and you're having so much fun. The wind is in your face, you know. <laughs> and uh, and you're, having, you're, having so, you're just going down this hill having so much fun. And um, he goes, and then you get, I have this, then you get speed wobbles. And then you crash, and you crash hard. And then as soon as you crash, I hear that, like, there's these condemning words that are spoken over you as soon as you crash, and they are, see, that's why you should never go this fast. And he's saying this, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, if he doesn't know what, what I've been through the last few years at all, zero, nothing. And, and he goes, I think the interpretation is that you're afraid to go back down a hill. I think, I think that's what the, like you're afraid to go. And I think God wants me to say to you, don't be afraid to go down another hill. You will not get speed wobbles this time. You will not fall. Bomb the hill. So he opens his eyes like, okay, that was it. And I was like, I was just, I was spinning. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> this here was a super prophetic and timely word as we were getting not only into the Holy Spirit series, 
which we were like, we're like four weeks from the Holy Spirit series at this, at this point, or five weeks. But some fear I had going into next year, because next year we're talking all about relational wholeness. And some of the biggest mistakes I've made in my life are relationally based. And I'm so afraid of going into next year. Like, I am, there's no way in the world I can go and lead through that. Like, I am almost disqualified from doing that. And so I've been afraid. I've been afraid of saying yes to all the things I feel like the Spirit wants to do in our church. I'm afraid of, like, repeating mistakes. I'm right in this moment, and he comes and speaks this word over to me. Like, bomb the hill. You will not, you will not fall. Now, what if God had told me earlier that I was about to enter another season of downhill fun, but to not do it? I might have said to him, yeah, Casey, I think that the word's right. I think everything is right. I did bomb a hill and I did fall and all this other stuff, but I think God's saying no. He might say, okay, cool, the application's off, but that's, that, everything else resonates with you so deeply. Okay, cool. Now, I don't think the application was wrong because earlier, I mean, weeks leading up to this, even, I mean, even stuff I wrestle with right now, right now, like present moment, right to second, is I know God's calling me to do that. And I'm, I'm afraid of falling, hurting people, past failures and falls, barring me from going down, I, all that stuff. I've even had other people talk about what goes on is like going down a hill like that. Now, which this, this brings up what prophecy is. Prophecy in its simplest form is communication from God in the most intimate way to someone else. It's when God wants to communicate something very intimate to this person that if they're reading through the book of Acts or they're reading through 1 Thessalonians, they won't get a, that specific word. But God wants to speak to them very specifically in that very, very moment and very intimately. And so he takes the spirit that breathed this whole book into existence and he uses a person who just says, yes, Lord, use me. I'll go and say that thing to them. And he uses that to communicate intimately to that person. God is a speaking God. He desires to speak to us and to speak through us. Prophecy is God speaking through us to someone else in a way that strengthens them, encourages them, and comforts them. That's what prophecy is for. This is why Paul says that we should all eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. Every single one of us. I have thought about a lot of faces this week as I've been thinking about this teaching. A lot of faces. A lot of faces in here that you, I would love to see you move in the prophetic. And you wouldn't classify yourself as like a charismatic person or a prophetic person at all. I want this to be so normal in our church that we can move in and out of the prophetic so well where we can go up to someone like, I, I really sense that God might want, want, might want to say this to you. And I want to submit this to you in love. I, I want our church to eagerly desire that to happen. First Corinthians 14 again. Follow the way of love. Okay. All of this has to be based on and rooted in 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. Did you know the love chapter is sandwiched in between spiritual gift chapters? You probably knew that. This is how we, if you take the love chapter out of context, it, it doesn't mean anything. It, it's for the encouraging of the church. We're to practice love as we minister to each other. Follow the way of love, as I just outlined in chapter 13, and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So church, reality. Follow the way of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. That whole thing. And eagerly desire prophecy, especially prophecy. Every, my hope is that every single one of us would desire to prophesy. I know that word is churchy. I know that word is big and robust and sometimes scary. But Paul normalizes it. For anyone who speaks in a tongue, again next week, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening. Don't we all want to strengthen each other? Encourage each other and comfort each other? And God wants to do it through his words, not the words that we have to muster up. Not the words that we're like, okay, how do I strengthen this person? Okay, I'm gonna, I read this book this last week and this one tweet, and I'll say that to them, and then this. Like, that's so tiring. It's so tiring. No, we can just simply wait and go, God, how do you want to strengthen, encourage, and comfort this person? Or strengthen, or encourage, or comfort. Notice the voice of God through prophecy is the exact opposite as the enemy. 
The enemy's voice brings guilt and shame. God's voice brings strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. New Testament prophecy is rarely about the future. This is not Christian fortune-telling. If that was so, someone in here would have won the lotto this last week. You're like, Holy Spirit, the numbers. I just need the numbers. That is not what is happening. That is not what's happening here. It's Prophecy is rarely about the future. Most of the time it's about strengthening, encouraging, and comfort, comforting in the here and now. And when the pro prophecy is actually even more about the future, it's less about prediction and more about preparation. And so, for example, what Casey's word to me, that was more about preparation. How do you prepare now? Not like, okay, this is what the hill means, and this is how you get, you know, it's like prediction on, on in, in Two months time from now, you shall, that's not, that's not it. It's about preparation. When it's about the future, it's about the here and now. How do I prepare to hear or to be obedient to what God wants me to do today, right now? This happened to me in a crazy, and I, I, I'm sharing stories, and I'm sharing stories as someone who, I believe in this, but it's really hard. It's almost like, I'm, when, I, when I talk about prophecy, it's Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If that's you, I'm in the same exact boat. Uh, a year ago in August, August 4th, 2017, I was doing listening prayer. I was just waiting on God, read the scriptures, was praying, listening if God wanted to speak anything to me. I had my journal open like I do when I'm in listening prayer. And this is how the conversation went. Literally, this is it, word for word from my very journal. It's going to come up as it happened. Monday, August 4th, 2017, listening prayer. In my journal, this is what I wrote. God. This is God speaking to me. Ask me everything, not just anything, everything. So I wrote that down. So this is me. Okay, Lord. God. <laughs> Literally, this is no, there's nothing, nothing mysterious about this. this. Is okay, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. And this is what God said to me. I'm, I am going to bless you. Beyond, beyond what I've done before, this is August, 4th, this is a year, over a year ago. Beyond what I've done before, not because of something you did, but because I want to. I believe, help my belief, right? Listen, let's say, I literally wrote this next. Is this really the Lord? In my journal. Is this really the Lord? Because doesn't that sound like wishful thinking? It kind of sounds like that, right? Like, I'm going to bless you. I'm like, I'm writing it down. I'm like, oh, where's this going? Oh. Is this, I, I don't know if it's, and then next thing God says, write it down. So I'm like literally writing it, write it down. Okay, here it is. <laughs> and then God said this, and I wrote this down. You will have a kid naturally through Ashley as her body wakes up. Talitha kum was what Jesus said. Little girl, I say, get up. That's just in this like random corner of my journal. That's it. That's all, that was all, that was, all of that was there. Now, there's been all kinds of words about Ash having a baby that have been given to us over the years. The thing that was different about this one, it was like, first of all, it was to me, because I don't think I've ever heard God speak that to me. And not so much about my a future prediction, because I hold all these things really, really loosely. Really loosely. This is more of a preparation. God was having me prepare. This was right after I was coming off a sabbatical. This was a turning point for me as I look back. It was when we decided to really put down roots in San Francisco. Because after sabbatical, I had the option of like, do we move on to what's next? Had a few different things like kind of happen and offers or whatever. Like, do we move on to what's next? Do we stay here? That was when we really decided to put down roots in the city to move into a different home, which eventually led to buying a home. Um, that happened through a horrible story with Ashley's dad. It was about making this community, the community I want to bring a child into and raise alongside you all. It was about preparation for me. Now, here's the thing. What, when I get any prophetic words like this, I hold them very, very, this is me, I hold them very loosely. So much so, I completely forgot about this. Completely forgot until a few weeks ago. I was reading through an old journal because I had finished this journal. I was reading through it, found that, I was like, oh my gosh. God called his shot. God's like, off, off this, this thing, bounce in the net. No, like, called a shot, completely called a shot. And I woke up, Ash, I'm like, look at this. I wrote this down, because she doesn't read my journals, but that's a whole different thing. I, 
I, at least I don't think she does. Um, <laughs> I go, look at this. Look at what I wrote down a year ago. Completely, completely blew my mind. What Paul is saying here is that we should long for and eagerly desire that God would restore his communication with us in a most intimate way. This is what God wants to do. And he wants us to, to listen, to feel heard by him. Um, now, what, what I find funny is that we live in a world where we all love teachings and we all love teachers. We love podcasting. We love TED Talk. We love teachers. We would, I, would, I would say that we would all eagerly desire better teaching and better teachers. Most of us can live without prophecy, but we cannot live without teaching. But the biblical instruction for prophecy is eagerly desire it. And the biblical instruction for teaching is not many of you should desire to become teachers. <laughs> and we have it completely backwards. Like absolutely backwards, which I, I, I think it's based on this tragic misconception that thinks that my words are the most important words. What I think is the most important thing. And I don't think God sees it this way. God is not obsessed with better sermons about himself. He's not, Dave, when you said about me, I, that, was, that blew my mind. I did not. He doesn't, I don't think he cares that much. God is obsessed with passing redemption through very ordinary human vessels. He is so concerned with taking very ordinary people, maybe you that sit in the back up there that are mostly on Instagram during sermons, and he wants to speak to you. I, by the way, sometimes I sneak and sit random places with a hat on. You don't even know it's me. I look at what you look at during the sermon. I do. And you're all busted. Like, I, I'm like, how? Spirit of God must speak to them because they're not paying attention. God is wanting to take those ordinary people that show up to church and think, is there something? For, I'm just trying to get the thing out for me. I just need a little hit to get through the rest of the week. He wants to take you and he wants to use you. He wants to speak through you into the life of someone else. His preferred method of bringing about redemption is to take w one person and use their mouth, their lungs, into the life of someone else. And if we really believe that, I think we would eagerly desire prophecy. I want this to be our church so bad where everyone, no matter who you are, who follow Jesus, would ask, God, what are you saying today? Is there something you want to speak to me for someone else in this room? We don't need better teachers. We need more prophets. We really, really, we need really, really ordinary people to start believing God loves to speak through your lungs. Ordinary people. Now, how does this work? Okay, let me land this plane. A couple definitions. One by Ben Witherington. Prophecy is not a sermon by 21st century standards. It is a spontaneous utterance prompted by the Spirit and based on sudden, uncontrived revelation from God. It's not a sermon. Some of you guys that try to sermonize when God told me and you start t telling the sermon that you heard from whatever preacher you listen to on podcast, that is not what, it, it's just a spontaneous utterance prompted by the Spirit. My, one of my favorite definitions of prophecy is from a book I read this last, uh, this last week uh, called um, Moving in the Prophetic by Greg Haslam. It says this, prophecy is a phenomenon that results directly from the access the Holy Spirit has to our minds, whereby he can create pictures in our imagination and supernatural dreams while we are asleep. He can put words, ideas of scripture into our heads with such a force that we know there is something weighty and unforgettable going on, something that carries with it the responsibility to pass on and relay what the Holy Spirit has communicated. I know some of you guys might not believe that the God can give you words, but you believe that Satan could implant negative thoughts in your head. If Satan can implant thoughts in your head, how much more does God want to implant thoughts in your head? So some of you listen to Satan all day long, believing all kinds of false lies, or not false lies, that's a double negative, all kinds of lies. <laughs> and you don't believe that God can speak to you. The only prophecy you believe in is like a self-fulfilling prophecy that says God doesn't speak. Therefore, God doesn't speak. Because you go like, God can't speak. The first way that 
that the Holy Spirit can speak is he can come through an impression. Like through the Bible, through scripture, he can put a scripture on your mind for someone. He can put a scripture on or, or a, 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 like a, a, a Bible character in your mind. You might pray for someone and just hear the word Moses. And it might just call to mind the life of Moses or some particular part. And you can just ask, What's, Lord, what is that? Maybe it's a, a simple word like peace over someone. Or some, some sort of just word. You might, God might speak to you in words. God speaks to different people in different ways. This is what I found. Um, we've been talking a lot about this. And, you know, we just, uh, Dale, our new executive uh, director, he, he says that God always speaks, to, God typically speaks to him in literal phrases. So God will give him a, like a phrase. That's how God speaks to him. He doesn't necessarily give him images. Some people get images. Like I'm a very visual person, so I get a lot of images. A couple of weeks ago, we were up front praying. And I, I say this because I want you to know that this does not, I, I wish you would believe me, this does not come naturally to me. This teaching in front of you isn't that hard for me to do. Getting down there and waiting on the Spirit to speak something over your life carries with it so much like, like it's, hard, it's, hard, it's hard for me to do. Because I, I, I still am skeptical, to be honest. Another other week I was up there praying and I, and I was praying for one of our CG leaders named Kyle and the, an image is shot in my mind. And I never know if like if it's an image of because I just, whatever movie I was watching last night or whatever, I don't know. And it was an, uh, an image of like a full eclipse in the middle of the day. And there's darkness in the middle of the day when there should be light. And there was confusion and even anger. Like why is it dark? It's supposed to be light. And so... I said, I'm getting this image of an eclipse. It's the middle of the day. You're really frustrated that it's dark when it's supposed to be light. And I think God might want to say to you that the light is coming. This darkness will pass soon. And then I just prayed for him. Walked away, didn't hear anything. We're doing some testimonies at, uh, at leader night. He stands up. He's like, someone had a word for me. And I'm sitting there listening to it. Like, and it was a vision of an eclipse. And I, I kind of, I'll be honest, I forgot. And... Um, <laughs> And his vision says it, and he just says the backstory of like filled with a lot of anxiety that led to this almost depression, almost like anger, like this, like this thing that was snowballing so, so fast. And then this word came to him, and then immediately something broke. It felt like light came in. And I'm listening to him going, dang, that's amazing. Wait, that sounds familiar, I think. So I emailed him, and goes, was that you? Was that me? Was that us? That, oh, by the way, that kind of stuff is happening every single week, almost every single week up here with, um, with the prayer team. As they just wait and they're praying, almost like verbatim, the things that God is speaking to them um, in ways that are really ministering to people. It also could happen through gut feeling. God can give you this gut feeling, something that you sense in your gut or a sensation in your body. I've also heard sometimes uh, pain is mirrored, mirrored to where you might feel a pain somewhere and what God wants to do is heal someone in the room or someone next to you that has that similar pain but is actually experiencing it way more so to bring healing. Um, dreams, like God can speak to you through dreams. I had my very first prophetic dream right after I turned 40. I think it's because old men dream dreams. <laughs> I honestly think that. I don't know. I just never had a prophetic dream. I was 40 and like two days old, I was like, I had a prophetic dream. I'm like, thank you, God. I'm old enough to have dreams now. It was awesome. Visions, it's like a dream, but you're awake. Okay, so God can speak to you in all of these myriad of ways. What do you do with the prophecy? Ask first, who is this for and when is this for? Who is it for? Is it for the church? Is it for me? Is it for someone in my community? Is it someone in my CG? Is it someone in this room? Who is it for? Then ask, when is it for? Is it for now? Is it for later? Is it something I just submit to someone? Is it something that I just keep to myself and pray for them? What do I do with it? Whenever I'm working with intercessors, I always have them ask the when question. Because intercessors are always hearing from God. And I, and I say, if you, if you, just, if you keep in, emailing me every week what, or every day what you're hearing from God, I'm just, everything's going to become white noise. So ask, when? When, when, when is it do I, that I need to hear this prophetic word? Deliver the message but don't say God said. Don't walk up to someone and say, God told me or God said because, first of all, that's dangerous. Second of all, that's not humble at all because you could be completely wrong. And things can get really messy at that point. Say, I have a sense. Say, I would like to submit to you. Say, I was praying for you. And I, and I, I just, I have the sense that God might want to say this to you. I want to submit this to you humbly in love. 
say that. Say, this might be from God. This might be from God. Weigh it. Deliver it with humility. Deliver it with love. Deliver it with courage. It takes courage to do this because sometimes you're going to, you, you, as you start to do this, you're going to step out. And sometimes what's really helpful is to say something and go, does that resonate with you at all? And the person might say, no, not at all. I'm like, okay, great. I'm just going to pray for you then. And that's okay to do. That's okay to do. Just to say, I have, I'm going to, I'm sensing that there's something about whatever it is. And you say it. And you're like, is that resonating at all with you? I'm like, no, not at all. Okay, well, I'm going to pray the peace of God because that's the thing that God always says yes to. Lord, I pray peace. <laughs> Don't prophesy in anger or in pride. Don't speak something over someone in anger. Don't speak something over someone in pride or in, even in a condescending tone. Do it in love. In love. People should always walk away and say, I was strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. Or strengthened, or encouraged, or comforted. Now, how do you receive a prophecy? 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. I think we should do some lectio through this this week as a church. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. First, receive prophecy. How do you quench the spirit according to Paul here? By treating prophecies with contempt. When you push the voice of God away, you quench the spirit. If someone comes up to you and says, I think I have a word for you, you're like, here we go. Quench the spirit. The spirit just can't do what the spirit wants to do in your guys' lives. But secondly, test them all. Every prophecy you get, sit with them test them. Scripture is always, always God's word and spirit. Spirit and word. Always. So ask yourself, does what was said line up with the scriptures? If someone comes up to you and says, I have a word for you, take revenge. (laughs) You're like, ooh, that, that resonates. More than you know, that resonates with me. So there you go. Go and take revenge. You should be able to take the scriptures and go, the scriptures point directly against that. So I know I'm, I weighed that. It's not, not from God at all. God doesn't contradict himself. Word and spirit. They're both God. The spirit is God. The word is God. I'm not, I, don't say, I don't mean the Bible. I mean the word. Like God is word. Never does he give a word from the spirit that doesn't line up with what he's spoken, what he's said. Does it confirm or correct what God is like already doing in your life? Ask that question. Does it confirm or correct? Now, if you are in sin, like if you're in open rebellion against God, someone might come to you with a word and it feels like conviction and it might not feel loving at first. But conviction and condemnation are different. Conviction is always an invitation to life. And so if someone comes up to you with a word, like be open to it and go okay if it brings conviction how does it invite me into life with God this is where we have to grow this is what I'm hoping that our church grows in to uh, to really close I know I've said that like two times already but I've I've wanted this in the life of our church and I've been afraid of our church getting weird (laughs) I'm gonna be honest and so as I've, as I've heard people talk about this, I'm like, yes, 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 that sounds great. That's awesome. But most of those people are very weird, like super, super weird. And um, I don't, I don't, and I think, um, first of all, it's a personality thing. I know it's just my, it's my personality thing. And I think that um, to be salt and light in San Francisco, there are certain things that, that people need to be engaged with intellectually in San Francisco as well. And so I've been always afraid of getting weird. And then I've, I've met a few pastor friends of mine that I've been journeying with a few years that have showed me an excellent way of leading a church in the prophetic and being very, very normal about it. I think of uh, Pete Hughes, a friend of mine in London, uh, King's Cross Church, and Darren, who will be here in a couple of weeks, and John Mark in, in, um, in Portland, and then local leaders, Ruthie Kim is 
taught me so much on how to be prophetic and be completely normal and charming and kind and loving and very, 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 very direct, all of those things. David McKinney, who leads our prayer team, same thing, moving in the prophetic and, and being so normal with it. I think, I think normalizing that this is, should be a normal part of our church, that we could, we could um, deliver words of prophecy in our church. We can do that individually. I think, I think when, when, some, when I speak a word of prophecy for someone in the church, they're like, well, you're the pastor. You have like a direct link. And I get that. I don't have one, but I get the, I get the perception. But when someone who's just sitting next to you is like, I think I, I might have something for you. And when that happens, what we've seen, it's just, it's, you're like, God is real. God knows me. God is speaking. And so this is how we want to end. This is what we want to do. We are praying that one of the things that we've been praying for leading into this and even pre-gathering prayer that we led, we're praying into is that we want this prophecy culture to be part of the DNA of our church. And so we, I want to first, I want to start by praying for those who specifically desire and want to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. And then I want to call people forward who just want someone to pray and possibly prophesy over them. And our prayer team would love to pray for you and prophesy over you. So let's just do this. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer?